I read this week where a 16-year-old Irish schoolgirl has become somewhat of a celebrity because she has figured out a way to transmit secure files over the internet ten times faster than uh, the current use, the current way it's done. She won a science fair project at her school with this. Um, and her mother says that their phone has not stopped ringing. In fact, she said that they don't even have time now to peel two potatoes because of the, the phone ringing off the wall. You know, our house is like that a lot, but we have a simple solution. It's called an answering machine. You just turn it on, and then you don't have to answer the phone. <laughs> if it's important, they leave a message. Well, this is what's the way our uh, society has had to deal with progress. Back 30 years ago, uh, it was estimated that in 1985, we would only have to be working 22 hours a week, and that we could retire by the age of 38. Now, how many of us uh, work 22 hours a week and are fully content with that? No, nobody can do that. This was a 30-year-old false prophecy. It has not happened and will not. In fact, the time that we have for leisure has decreased since 30, 30 years ago when this was predicted. We can do more things now because of the progress of man. We can do more things. But the problem is that we also have more to do. So this is ultimately a, a net loss. I like what Henry David Thoreau wrote, quite on the way of contrast. He says, I love a broad margin to my life. Sometimes in a summer morning, having taken my accustomed bath, I sit in my sunny doorway from sunrise till noon, wrapped in reverie. You know, his writings are so widely acclaimed, we read that and we think, you know, that's really a nice sentiment. But if our neighbor walks across the street and tells us the same thing, we think he's lazy if he sits in his doorway from sunrise till noon. We all know that we need to rest, but we don't because there's no glory in rest. Our culture has so programmed us to look at rest as a waste of time, as an opportunity to use leisure time to make more money. Progress has enabled us to do more quickly where we could have more time, but we use that time instead to do more work to make more money. We cannot spend all of our life with our uh, foot on the gas pedal, so to speak. Life in the fast lane, as we've called this series. We focused on several different areas of looking at stress, progress, simplicity, and priorities. Last week we looked at work. Today we want to balance it out by looking at rest or by looking at the idea of leisure. My little uh, four-cylinder car, when I get on the highway, just about every time and you've got to accelerate, I'll punch it and then in about 30 seconds I'll feel a kick and that's when it goes into this uh, passing gear and it'll stay in the passing gear up until I get to go on you know, as fast as the flow of traffic, and then it'll kick out and land in fourth gear, and there I'll stay. But, uh, and it also goes in the passing gear whenever I'm passing somebody and have to go relatively quickly, quickly. But my car can't work in that gear the whole time. And if you were to try to drive your car uh, with a, a brick on the, the gas pedal the whole time, your car would eventually burn up. 
You know, it's the exact same thing with our lives physically and emotionally. We can live life in the fast lane for a little while. And there are times that we have to put forth extra effort. But if you live in the fast lane, you're going to burn up your emotional engine. I'd like for us to look together at an oldie but a goodie. One of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. So if you have a Bible, why don't you open it? Exodus chapter 20. If you think about it, when you stub your toe and you peel back the toenail, nobody wonders why you're screaming. But when you are hurting emotionally and you feel like screaming, it's not quite as easy to pinpoint what's wrong, is it? Because it's invisible pain. But the pain is just as real as a physical pain. It is just as real. And yet when we try to rest, our culture looks at us and therefore a lot of times we'll look at ourselves and we'll say, uh, well, you're lazy, you're complaining, you're unproductive, and you really ought to get up and get busy. So what happens when we see somebody resting? We look at them as lazy. Well, today I want to challenge us to begin to think in a more biblical way. As we have looked at what the Bible says about work, so too I want us to try to look at what the Bible says about resting, about leisure. And here in Exodus 20, as far back as the beginning of the nation Israel, we are clearly told that there is nothing wrong with resting. In fact, if I could add that, so don't feel guilty about doing it. Exodus 20, verse 8, God tells the Israelites, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now if you're in Exodus 20, turn a couple of chapters to Exodus 23 and look at verse 12. Similar thing is said. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work so that your ox and your donkey may rest and the slave born in your household and the alien as well may be refreshed. Last week we looked at the fact that God made everything, He worked, and then He gave work to mankind to take care of the garden. And we derived from that, since that happened before sin ever entered the picture, because God worked, because He told man to work, Work is not sin. Work is not an evil thing that we have to deal with. It's a good thing. But from that same passage, we can also derive the principle that because God worked and He rested, and He commands man to rest, that it is not an evil thing to rest either. It is just as biblical to work, and it's just as good to work as it is to rest, and it's good to rest. And yet we don't feel that way. We feel like we're unproductive and lazy when we take a break. And yet here in the Old Testament, the Jew was clearly told to rest. In fact, if they didn't rest, 
they were laid to rest, you might say. If you didn't obey the Sabbath day, they would stone you. God commanded it. Well, that's kind of severe. Well, he wants to get the point across that you need to rest. You'll rest one way or the other. <laughs> God wants us to rest. I like Gordon MacDonald's quote. He says, We don't rest because our work is done. We rest because God commanded it and created us to have a need for it. The late Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. How'd you like to introduce yourself as that every time? Hello, my name is Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. This is what he said regarding the Sabbath day. Uh, he said the seventh day is not a day that God stopped working. It's a day that he created something else. Obviously, he's exaggerating. But what he says that was created on this last day was tranquility and serenity and peace. That which we wouldn't have had otherwise. The word Sabbath is a, is a Hebrew word that means to stop. It means to rest. It means to cease and desist from whatever it is you're doing. And in the context of it here, it's clearly talking about stop working. The uh, Sabbath day, though, Saturday, which is what the Sabbath is, uh, was a command for somebody under the Old Testament a covenant, the Old Covenant. In fact, it was the sign of the Old Covenant. If you obeyed the Sabbath, you were telling everybody that you were under the Old Covenant. In fact, if you obey the Sabbath today, you are telling people that you are under the Old Covenant. It is the sign for a covenant that is gone. It has been replaced by the New Covenant, the New Testament. New Testament covenant means the same thing. In fact, if you read in the New Testament, you see several times very clearly that believers are no longer under the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, meaning that we don't have to not work on Saturday. In fact, in Colossians, it tells us just flat out, let nobody judge you uh, by means of a Sabbath day, because this is a mere shadow of what was to come. So we are no longer bound by not having to work on Saturday. But I still think it's a wise use of the Scripture, as the New Testament tells us all Scripture, even the Sabbath day, is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so there's got to be a timeless principle that we can still grasp from this law that we are no longer bound by. We don't have to not work on Saturday, but there ought to be a time of rest in your life. It doesn't have to be Saturday, but it ought to be someday. Now the Christians, obviously, because you're here on Sunday, we gather on Sunday. Now, Part, mainly by example of the New Testament in the book of Acts, when the early church transferred they, their day of worship from Saturday to Sunday, because they understood they're no longer bound by the Old Covenant to worship on Saturday, so they decided to change it to the day that the Lord was raised. Now, there's nowhere in the Scripture that tells us you have to worship on Sunday. We could worship on Thursday night, and it would be just as biblical. Okay, But we choose to do it on Sunday morning, we choose to do it because it's uh, tradition now. But uh, they initially chose to do it because that's the day the Lord was raised from the dead. You may have been raised in a household that taught you that you have to uh, do nothing on Sunday but basically go to church to uh, uh, eat, take a nap, and then pretty much you had to sit on the couch all day. And you probably felt bad that everybody else was out enjoying the day and you were not. Now, I have 
no disrespect at all for uh, true believers who believe that now the Sunday is the Sabbath, that it has been transferred, but I don't believe that that's what the New Testament teaches. If that's the way you're raised and if that's what you believe, that's fine. But I want to challenge you to begin to look anew at what the New Testament teaches, that you do not have to let anybody judge you by way of a Sabbath. You read the book of Colossians, you see that it's true. We're not under the Old Testament law. The whole book of Galatians teaches us that. Romans 14 teaches us that certain days, some, some days mean something to somebody else, some days, every day is the same. So we do not have to not work on Saturday. This kind of error continued all the way up through the, or maybe I should say this kind of a legalistic view of the Sabbath, was very prevalent in the day of, of Christ. And if you're still in Exodus, flip over to the New Testament, look at the book of Mark, chapter 2, verse 27. Jesus dealt with this very issue, and for us I think it's very instructive that he was walking through a grain field, he and his disciples, on a Sabbath day, on Saturday. And they were hungry, and they saw the grains of uh, uh, grain growing up, and so they reached out and they grabbed it, and they were eating some. And the Pharisees saw that, and they said, ah, 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 you're working on the Sabbath day. You're doing what is unlawful. And Jesus came back, and he told them this. Mark 2.27, he said, He was saying to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Literally, you could translate it another way. Uh, the Sabbath came into being for the sake of man and not the Sabbath day. It didn't come into being for the sake... Uh, I'll get it backwards. Uh, the Sabbath was made for man, was made for the benefit of man and not man for the benefit of the Sabbath. You, you're totally getting the cart before the horse when you say that we've got to do something simply because it's a certain day. The Sabbath, the purpose of the Sabbath day was a time of refreshment, was a time of rest, and yet Jesus saw it also as a, as a fine opportunity as well to meet your needs. And that's what Jesus did. They took it to be a legalistic requirement that went way beyond what God intended, and Jesus brought it back into line. The Sabbath day is for me. I am not for it. Um... If you were to wind this down, you might say, into a usable principle, I think what I've said in that there's nothing wrong with resting, so don't feel guilty, would come pretty close to hitting the mark. Don't feel bad about resting. In fact, I think you would, I would not be out of line to say that it would be wrong not to rest. We have been created with the need for rest. Sleep is one of the best clear indicators of this. You can go without sleep for two, three, maybe four days if you really push it and load up with caffeine and stuff, but eventually your body's going to take over and it's going to do what it needs to do. perfect example of this is children. My little girl sitting in her high chair. You've all seen the girls, the little kids that do this. Sitting there and they're too sleepy. You know, in the middle of a meal, they just, you know, start the nodding off. Their body is doing what it was designed to do. Even Jesus slept. Okay? Resting is right, and we should do it. Don't feel guilty about resting. Here's another good principle. Insist on a regular diversion. You're in Mark 2, flip two, uh, several chapters to Mark 6. Jesus is again our great example here. Mark 6, verse 31. He said to, to the disciples, 
come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. Then Mark tells us why. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. People were coming to Jesus, they were going from Jesus, there was continual uh, movement, there was continual activity, so much so, they didn't even have time to eat a meal. So Jesus tells them, come away by yourselves, let's go to a lonely place. And by that he didn't mean, let's go somewhere where we'll be lonely, or we'll feel bad. He meant, let's go off someplace where we can be alone, or we can get away from people and the demands upon us. Let's get away, let's get by ourselves, we're told, so that they can rest a while. It's okay to rest, to have a regular time of diversion. You can mark it down as a fact, and if you haven't figured it out yet, someday you will. And I am just about that close to figuring it out myself. I haven't got it figured out, but I tell you what, there is no way you will ever, 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 ever be able to do all that you want to do. You got that figured out yet? You know, we say, yeah, but then we go off and we try to do everything we want to do. And we end up doing a sad job at everything rather than a good quality job at the few things that we really know we should do. You can't do everything you want to do. There's not time and you don't have the energy for it. So you've got to simplify. Uh, there was a guy who said he heard his pastor one time say, uh, I'm not going to take a vacation this year. The devil doesn't take a vacation. And he said he wanted to chime back to his pastor. He said he didn't say it, but he said he wanted to say, well, I didn't know the devil was your model. He may not take a vacation, but Jesus did. Jesus rested. Jesus is the one we're to follow. I like what Lee Iacocca said. Very uh, successful businessman, you, you probably know. He said, I'm constantly amazed by the number of people who can't seem to control their own schedule. Over the years, I've had many executives come up to me and say with pride, boy, last year I worked so hard that I didn't take any vacation. He says, it's actually nothing to be proud of. I always feel like responding, you dummy. You mean to tell me you can take responsibility for an $80 million project and you can't plan two weeks out of the year to go off with your family and have some fun? There's a lot of wisdom in that. And even when we do plan a vacation, you know, it often turns into Clark Griswold's quest for fun, doesn't it? And we come home more tired than when we left. Everybody's mad at each other. You come home and you think, man, was that a vacation? You've got to take a vacation after your vacation before you get back to work. All right? That's just the way it is. I'm not talking here necessarily about getting away to, to Wally World. I'm talking about having a regular time of diversion away from your routine. In fact, making a part of your routine a regular diversion. A Canadian-born physician, Sir William Osler, once told an audience of medical men, okay, these are busy people, he said this, no man is really happy or safe without a hobby. And it makes precious little difference what that outside interest may be. Botany, beetles or butterflies, roses, tulips or irises, fishing, mountaineering, antiques, anything will do as long as he straddles a hobby and rides it hard. I love that last line. 
You straddle a hobby and you ride it hard. And so I want to challenge all you type A driven people with the same challenge that my wife challenges her type A driven husband. That is, where in your schedule have you scheduled rest? Where are you planning to rest? Because for many of us, uh, goal-oriented kind of people, that producing something has got to happen. If you don't plan on resting, you won't rest. And I have found that out to be very true. So what I try to do, my time usually is Sunday evenings and Mondays. I'll either uh, hang on to my daughters for a little while and let Kathy go off and be a human for one day by herself. Uh, or I'll go to a movie. I'll uh, uh, build something for my grandmother. Something that's totally different away from my routine. I, uh, I like to play the guitar, so sometimes I'll play the guitar with my dad or arrange some songs or something like that. Uh, anything to get away from the normal routine of like what I'm doing here right now. It can be all-consuming, believe me. Thinking about the fact that people are going to hell every day if you don't get up and work. You have to learn to what you might call refuel in midair. You're not going to have time all the time to land your plane in the middle of a busy week. You've got to learn how to refuel or to refresh yourself in the middle of a busy week. For me, sometimes I will, uh, in the evenings, if I've, got to, if I've come home and before supper, before I come back to a Bible study or a board meeting or something that's happening, you know, I'll grab that guitar and I'll sit there and strum it for five or ten minutes and just totally change the way that I'm thinking by a nice little diversion, just for a brief time to refuel before I get back in the fray of activity. Even this week, this, I was driving down to Dallas to have lunch with a buddy, and uh, I'm just crossing Louisville Lake, and always when I cross uh, the lake, I always, it hits me, man, this is beautiful. And I just stop, I roll the windows down, and just began to look at the beauty and the, you know, the old dead trees and stuff. But just basically to just look at what God has created and take a deep breath. And to just, in that brief drive down in my busy schedule, to refuel my emotions. We've got to do that. If you don't learn how to refuel in midair, you're going to end up crashing your plane. We've got to learn how to do that. Kathy and I have some good friends in Tyler who will take a five-minute nap after lunch. They'll eat lunch and they'll go and they lay down for five minutes. And they say they, just, they wake up after five minutes, they've trained themselves, and that refreshes them. A five-minute nap. Salvador Dali, the old artist, remember you ever seen some of his stuff? He, uh, he said that whenever he needed a short nap, he would sit in a chair and he'd put a tin plate right underneath the chair and he'd hold a spoon in his hand. And he said he would sit there... And as soon as he fell asleep, of course, he would let go of the spoon and it would hit the tin pan and wake him up. And he said that the, that the time between when he let go of that spoon and it hit the tin pan uh, was all the rest he needed and he felt refreshed. If you've seen some of this guy's paintings, you might disagree with uh, the fact that he needed a little more rest. But that's what he said. Everybody's different. Everybody refuels in a different way. So however it is you do it, do it. 
get a regular diversion from the routine and just change your way of thinking and refuel and refresh your mind. However it is you do it, make sure you do it. It might be an oversimplification, but I think it is true that the work that you do primarily is for others, but your leisure, your rest, is for yourself. doesn't matter what you do, just enjoy it. Make sure it's something that you enjoy and do it. For Jesus and for his disciples, for them it was getting away to a lonely place, to get away from people and just be by themselves. And then they got in a boat and they rowed out to be by themselves. That's what I think we are to do as well. And you can always tell when you're ready for a break. Okay? For me, it's about ten minutes after time with my children. Just, you can always tell when you need a break. You know, your, your, your teeth get gritted and your, your brow begins to shadow from all the wrinkles. You know, you wish everybody would just shut up and you wish everybody would go to Canada. You want to be all by yourself. And whenever it gets to that point, you need to find some way to refuel. You may not be able to totally stop what you're doing, but somehow you've got to find a way to refresh. Uh, I've asked Rachel Moore, she is a member here of our church, to come up and to share just for a couple of minutes from uh, her background. She got a degree from our university in recreation and leisure. Okay, A degree in leisure. This is fantastic. And her emphasis was uh, therapeutic recreation. And so she's going to share with us for just a minute from her field about why we need to rest. So, Rachel, scare us to death, all right? I think I'm a little more scared right now. Um, one of the things that we're talking about is how we get stressed in our life, how stress kind of um, really works on our life. And the cost of stress and stress-related illnesses are now estimated to exceed $100 billion a year. And that's pretty outstanding. Um, when we're attempting to manage stress, it's important to understand that the stressors exist in the eye of the beholder. Um, stressors themselves are less responsible for the, respo for the stress responses than the way we react to the stressful events. I'm going to read that again. Stressors themselves are less responsible for the stress response than the way we react to stressful events. If you perceive it to be stressful, it's going to be. If an incident is seen as positive, it will result in eustress, which is the opposite of distress. Distress is bad, eustress is good. If you view it to be bad, it's going to be a stressful thing. Stress management is a positive, I'm sorry, stress management is a process that requires the assessment of stressors in our life and how to identify the strategies to deal with them in a manner that is health enhancing. Um, a man by the name of Haywood did an experiment. He induced stress on subjects with a period of frustrating mental arithmetic. And for me, that'd be about five minutes. And I would be very stressed. Um, he then monitored the stress recovery using a battery of physiological measures while the individuals had access to a variety of passive distractions. These passive distractions are leisure activities, um, television, reading, listening to music. And the findings suggested that if individuals perceived the distractions as a potentially positive or enjoyable um, event, the significant the significant stress recovery was observed and indicated by the reactions in heart rate, 
skin conductance, I mean, that's, that's how much stress, you know, affects your body is your skin conductance, your upper, upper back muscle tension and respiration. As you can tell by my respiration, I'm a little stressed. The findings suggest that even a few minutes of passive leisure, if appraised positive by participants, can produce substantial stress recuperation. That's cl clearly evident in many bodily systems. So if you view something to be a positive thing, you're going to enjoy it more and your stress levels are going to go down. Um, now, leisure is synonymously defined with recreation. Um, leisure can be a recreational activity. It can be very active or it can be a very passive um, activity, but it's activity enjoyed for the sake of enjoyment. It's something you do for yourself. It's during an obligated time. Um, it's a time for recreation. You're relaxing, you're resting, kind of rejuvenating your spirit, so to say. And it's the work ethic that has nurtured their perspective that recreation and leisure is something that's relatively unimportant or unproductive for which a right must be earned. So because of the work ethic, we've got all these stresses in our life. And there's some statistics that the Surgeon General has done um, for adults and youth. And we'll look at the statistics for the adults first. Um, and again, leisure and recreation are in the same boat together. So a lot of this um, has to do with inactivity. 13.5 um, million adults have coronary heart disease. 1.5 million people suffer from a heart attack in a given year. 8 million people have adult onset, adult onset or non-insulin dependent diabetes. 95,000 people are newly diagnosed with colon cancer each year. 250,000 people suffer from hip fractures each year. 50 million people have high blood pressure. Over 60 million people, that's over a third of the population, are overweight. Now our children learn from the adults, from the parents and or their parents and the adults in their lives. And so from those statistics, we can see the statistics of the youth, what they're learning. Um, nearly half of American youths aged 12 to 21 years are not vigorously active on a regular basis. About 14% of young people report no recent physical activity. Inactivity is more common among females than males. Participation in all types of physical activity declines strikingly as age or grade in school increases. Only 19% of all high school students are physically active for 20 minutes or more, five days a week, in physical education classes. Daily enrollment in physical education classes has dropped 42 to 25% among high school students between 1991 and 1995. And something they found to be good is social support from the family and friends has um, been consistently and positively related to regular physical activity. So if you can find time for leisure and you can find time to do it with your family, unless they're your stress, um, that's a good thing. You need to teach your children how important leisure is in their life because they'll grow up and become one of the statistics. Now, the benefits of leisure. I had a book and I wanted to bring it. It's titled Benefits of Leisure, so it's, it's real. The benefit is viewed as a change that is... Um, a change that is viewed to be advantageous or an improvement in condition. The Surgeon General says that um, by participating in recreation and leisure activities, we can reduce the risk of dying prematurely, dying from heart disease, developing diabetes, developing colon cancer, and developing high blood pressure. Um, 
participating in these activities help reduce blood pressure in people who already have high blood pressure, reduces the feelings of depression and anxiety, helps control your weight, helps build and maintain healthy bones, muscles, and joints, and promotes psychological well-being. So um, something that's helped me is not to think of leisure as, oh my gosh, something more I have to add into my schedule. Think of it as time that you can maybe take something out that's not so important in your, in your schedule so that you can enjoy your day and your life. Thanks. One of the things that Rachel shared with me earlier is that if you don't view your work, uh, if you don't have leisure in your life, your obligations become mere distractions. Your obligations become irritations. But if you add leisure to your life, then your obligations, uh, the, the irritant that they are, can significantly be reduced. She has listed for you uh, at the end of the message notes, if you look in your bulletin, there is a, a lot of things here in Denton that you can do. Uh, avenues for recreation and leisure, leisure participation. Uh, those are Rachel's. And so uh, some great ways to get started if you don't know how to do leisure or don't do it yet. But the main thing that I want to hammer home with this is that, uh, as you see from Rachel's uh, expertise, the, the research is there that if you don't rest, it's going to get to you one way or the other. In other words, God knew what he was talking about when he made Israel rest. He knew what he was doing. And by that timeless principle, we ought to add that to our lives as well. There's one more thing I'd like to tell you regarding work and leisure, and that is when it's time to quit, quit and trust God with the needs. When it's time to quit, quit and trust God with the needs. Look, just look at the screen and let me read a couple of verses from Psalm 127. This just nails it right on the head. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Why is it vain? Now Solomon wrote this psalm. And if you're familiar with some of his other stuff, particularly Ecclesiastes, he has a lot to say about what's vain or meaningless in life. And essentially he says the same thing in Ecclesiastes that he does in these two verses here. That if the Lord is not the one that's ultimately in your life, you can do incredible projects. You can do all kinds of things. But ultimately it's vain. It's meaningless. There is no purpose in it if the Lord is not there. Most particularly what he's talking about here is perhaps building a house or keeping watch over a city. But verse 2 is what really makes, is relevant to us. Earning a living. If the Lord is not the one you're trusting to provide for your needs, if you think by getting up early and retiring late and working so hard that you eat the bread of painful labors, that's just a, 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 a poetic way of saying you work hard. The bread that you eat is a result of working hard. That's unnecessary. Why? Because God gives to His beloved even when you're sleeping. 
God is providing for you. Here the child of God in this psalm is told to not take themselves so seriously. You know, this is one of many of the Psalms of Ascents, and if you were with us several years ago, we went through all of these, and we looked at the fact that three times a year the nation Israel was told to leave their farms, to leave their communities, and to travel all together up ascending to Jerusalem. And they would have a required retreat three times a year. So in addition to the regular weekly Sabbath day rest that they had to have, three times a year they had to retreat and get away from their routine and go up and worship. I think that is such a healthy perspective to look at the commands of what they had to do and what we ought to do. We trust God to meet our needs. When it's time to quit, quit. And I think Christians can be some of the worst people about this attitude or not having this attitude because, like I said, you can get so caught up with the with the Great Commission, that that is all you think about. Now, I don't mean at all to slight that. I think all our lives ought to be focused on that. But when you get to thinking, realizing the fact that there are millions of people, uh, that may be an overstatement, but a whole bunch of people every day who are going to hell because they're sinners. And if you don't get out there and tell them that, about Jesus Christ, that He died on the cross for their sins, that if they place their faith in Him, their sins may be forgiven. If you don't get out there, there's going to be people in hell because of you. And with that kind of a mindset, people just run all over the place to try to get so busy in ministry that they get over, uh, they get out of balance. And you, you question them about this, and they say, well, like that pastor did, well, the devil never takes a vacation. They say, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, even keep up this crazy schedule. To what you want to say to them, you can do all things, can you jump to the moon? Can you go six months without eating? No. That's not what that verse means. It means you can do all things that God has required of you. God has not required of you to live a life out of balance. And when you are so overworked, be it in earning a living, being in ministry, whatever it is you're doing, you're taking too high a value of your participation and not a high enough value of God's ability. You've got to stay in balance. When it's time to quit, quit and trust God for the lack, trust God to meet your needs. You can't meet your needs by going to work every single day and working like a Trojan. All it takes is one little disaster in your life and all your money's gone. And then what are you going to do? You've got to trust God. He is the one that ultimately provides. Jerry Johnston is the public relations guy for Chick-fil-A. And if you have ever been to the mall on Sunday, like I did one time recently and wanted to go by and get... Chick-fil-A, they were closed. They have been closed on Sunday for 31 years, ever since they've been in business. And listen to what this guy says about that. He says, we are the third largest quick service restaurant in the country. Our sales in 1997 were $671.9 million. That was our 30th consecutive annual sales increase. And then he finishes with this. You can be successful and be closed on Sunday. In other words, it's okay to rest. God can still meet your needs if you don't work like a Trojan every single day. So be it Saturday you take off, be it Sunday you take off, be it like me, Monday you take off. Whenever it is, it is your Sabbath. Whenever it is your regular time of rest, rest because you need it. I know some of you are musicians. 
and so you'll be able to identify immediately with this uh, illustration. But even the rest of you will be able to understand. Whenever our band plays a piece of music, or whenever a musician is reading a score, and they come to a musical notation called a rest, which means you stop playing for just a little bit of time, or it could be you know, measures and measures of time. It could sound like the song is done at that point, but in the mind of the musician, he still is keeping count, even though he's not playing. The rests in music are part of what makes a song enjoyable. If it was just constant noise, it's not that enjoyable. And you and I can all think of songs that are like that. But when there is some measure of, of balance in it, where there's some silence or some phrasing going up and down soft and, 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 and loud, some issue of rest in it, it's much more musical. I love this quote. John Ruskin says this. He says, There's no music in a rest, but there's the making of music in it. And people are always missing that part of the melody of life always missing the rest. So my challenge to you is today to, to realize that there's nothing wrong with resting. Don't feel guilty about doing it. And also you need to find a regular diversion that you can, that you can uh, straddle and ride hard to stay involved with your, with your regular diversion. And when it's time to quit, quit and trust God with your needs, because he's the one that meets them ultimately anyway. Well, let's pray together. We'll be dismissed. Our Lord, we are no longer bound by the Sabbath. We know that. It's clear from the scripture. And yet I do believe we are still to follow the principle it gives us. That is, that just as you work, you worked, we work. Just as you stopped working, so we should stop working and recharge and refresh. Father, I pray for all those here today who feel like if they don't work as hard as they can, as long as they can, as many hours as they can, that they're not going to make it. I pray that Psalm 127 might be laid upon their heart that you would make it clear to them and to me, to all of us, when we tip the balance in the wrong direction, that, Father, you provide for your own, even as we sleep. So help us today to rest, to learn how to relax, to not feel guilty, but to say that we believe in a Creator who created and then rested. One of the most biblical things we can do, Father, is to rest. So help us to do that, we pray in Christ's name.